Cooper. I live in fear of that hideous sound. I know, I'm pins and needles. <laughs> What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Keith and Mike Watch Deep Space Nine. Today, we are talking about Season 3, Episode 6, The Abandoned. How's it going, Mike? I'm too loud in my own ears. Uh, it's going well, Keith. It's so great to be here on a, a, a beautiful Monday. Truly. Uh, nothing more entertaining than just drawing the blinds and then putting them down really tightly so that we can get the right lighting yeah, and get yeah. going. Uh, Jen and I had a lot of fun with this episode. I'm really excited to talk about it because this is one where my general impression of the episode is one way. And then as I kind of digest and mull on it, I, I start to think maybe my, my enjoyment level was, has stayed the amount, has stayed static. I enjoyed it. But the more I thought about it, the more it the the layers peeled back like like an onion, Keith. So I'm excited Ooh, to I'm, to I'm talk fascinated. Yeah. <clears throat> so so did it get better or worse as the as the onion? I think I think it I think it makes it a better episode in my opinion. I can't wait to figure out if that because sometimes you sway me. So we'll see we'll see. Right, but I, right. I one way or the other, it's definitely not bad, and that yeah is a win. No, I'm I'm excited to talk about this episode too. I think it's a very interesting episode. It's also a very important episode. Oh, good. Good um, to know. But it is it is interesting that on IMDb, it's not one of the super high rated episodes. It's it's rated a point below uh, hmm. the one before it and after it. And I'm like I'm not sure if I agree. But uh we're going to get into it. We're going to do all of that. Uh, but before we do, we have to thank the people who are supporting our show, our patrons at patreon.com slash K&M. Spell up that. And uh, Mike, who's doing it? Oh, Keith, you and I, we've really gone through an existential crisis about the difference between the ampersand and the and and when it's appropriate to yeah. use either. But, you know, that's that's for a different show. <laughs> <laughs> but for this show and for all shows, they would be impossible to produce without our producers and our patrons. They are Brian Coffin, Casey Clark, Bren Joshua, Andrew Hayes, Jorge Navoa, and the mysterious Worf's Boochivs, Richard Coleman, Charles Babbage, CRM Productions, Nikolai Ivanovich Lobachevsky, at Grimm, underscore those toys, Delusions at Noon, JD Makes, he sure does, so does Colin Dagan, Chris Mitchell at CRM, and of course, you know... We'd love to give all of our patrons a good old pat on the back. So thank you, Pat, and the rest of the grand team. You can join them at patreon.com slash KNM. Get all kinds of good stuff. But most importantly, Keith, as you know, it helps produce the show by offsetting our time and the money used on assets and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and stuff. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, I mean, honestly, we... we... Uh, pay for our assets. I mean, I I build them, but the the assets that I I am changing with, I, I, we we pay for a service uh, for the stock footage and the uh, to, to begin with server stuff. space to upload our Patreon stuff and you know the podcast and stuff. Did you know that this show, Keith, as well as K and M Geekly, are available as podcasts on all your podcast listening services? That's true. All you true. gotta do is search K and M K ampersand. I don't know. What do you look no, for the it, shows? It, 
It has to be ampersand because that is our company. Our company is ampersand. The only reason we spell out and anywhere is the Patreon link because you can't use an ampersand oh. in a URL. But I'm sure that all the podcasts are linked in the show below, Keith. I'm sure. Sure they are. Yeah, but, of course. Yeah. But anyway. Uh, uh, but before we, we, we finish our thank yous, we have to thank Sans Deity for our super thanks last week. Oh, yeah. Thanks, man. Uh, you don't have to commit to the full Patreon of it all because you know I, I wouldn't. That's too much commitment for me. That's a lot. But you can just drop a little, drop a little tip, drop a little thanks right here below you on the YouTube, and we thank our good friend Sans Deity for uh, last week's contribution. And uh, that is not even the end of the contributions of our viewers because we have a double dose of last week's ratings on self-sealing stem bolts because uh, we recorded last episode so soon after the previous one, we didn't have a full statistical analysis of the ratings of Equilibrium. Keith, I'm being told we've trademarked this segment. We're going to be calling it the Pop and Pip Double Dip. The Pop and Pip Double Dip begins with our rankings from Equilibrium. I just yes-anded you. <laughs> so uh, the ratings for Equilibrium were Frank Rinch. That was less of a yes-and and more of a, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I didn't, I didn't like, I, didn't I, add I just on. went with it. <laughs> yeah. Yes, that, that was like consent. It wasn't yes-and, it was like fine. It was, yeah, sure. Uh, <laughs> it was tacit consent. <laughs> it was like Sure, whatever, yeah, okay, it'll said. be over soon. All right, so <laughs> Frank Rinch gave Equilibrium a 67, Josh Cronin gave it an 82, Worf's Boatshivs gave it a 74, JD Makes a 75, and Sons Deity, boom, coming, dropping the hammer with a 37.6473. Call it like uh, you see it. Wild variations in the ratings for Equilibrium, which I think is fair because... totally. Uh, it was definitely that type of an episode. In, in fact, you and I, uh, I gave it a 66. You gave it a 69. Jen, of course, gave it a 91. So the average viewer rating was a 67.129, which means ding, ding, ding. I am the winner. Big week Coming in Big week closest to the viewer ratings. Uh, but... We still have one more to do. We have second skin. We just have a few in here. Sans Deity gave it an 88.4388. Josh Cronin gave it a 92. And Delusions at Noon gave it an 86 for an average of 88.81, which means Michael and Deglo, you are the winner of second skin coming in with an 87.5. Uh, there it is, folks. So... Uh, if you want your rating read on the air, drop it in the YouTube feed right down below. Make sure you do it within a week, because uh, otherwise it'll be too late. Uh, definitely good fun. So what do you say we talk about Deep Space Nine Season 3, Episode 6, The Abandoned, Mike? Let's do it. All right, so this episode aired... On Halloween of 1994, Ooh, spooky. it was spooky time. But uh, you know, sometimes spooky time you cuddle up, mm -hmm. and and things get a little frisky. And we hear our top song, which continues to be "Boys to Men's Mike and Daglio. I'll make love to you with tacit consent, but at least that's consent. Cause you didn't say no and we'll watch No, some. oh no, oh no. Oh God, no, no. 
knows definitely consent and will watch spooky shows and my hands I'll keep to myself. There you go. <laughs> not saying no does not count as consent, kids. No, no, in our relationship, this is strictly, uh, see the asterisk. I am talking about very specifically just Keith and I, but not really that either because that's even creepier. <laughs> Our safe word is yes and. <laughs> wow. That was one of I'm my glad favorites. Jen doesn't watch this. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Whew. All right. The top movie was mm. uh, st- talk about starting a sci fi franchise. Stargate hey. was the, the original first Stargate. Uh, Keith, was, I have uh, to say this. I remember viscerally seeing that in the fil- in the theater and hating it. Did you the really? The first film, yeah. I was like, which, you know, it's interesting because it's not unlike the plot of Deep Space Nine. They find basically a wormhole, right? And they're just like right? protecting the door. But 100%. I, just, I did not. I, I don't remember why I didn't enjoy it. I've never revisited it, but I remember driving home and being very not uh, pleased. Do you remember who the lead was in that movie? Yep, and I cannot think of his name, but I'm looking at his face. Big, giant, colossal star later. James Spader. Oh, it was Spader. Was the lead. But he wasn't on the TV show, though. He was not on the TV yeah. show. In the first film, I mean, come on, we spent an entire year talking about him on the Out of Practice podcast. Yep. James Spader was the lead in Stargate. He was and like then the scientist guy. Never did again. That's right. All right. So uh, obviously you were hating Stargate in the theaters. True. I was watching it on VHS later. Uh, what were we watching on television that night? Oh, Keith. Well, it was spooky Halloween. And so uh, <clears throat> the the network shows, let me pull it up here. We were looking at, you know, some Halloween episodes. We had the Murphy Brown episode. It was called Frank Cuts. The, the, this is a new show, Keith. Uh, the Five Mrs. Buchanans was at 930. Oh. Alex okay. then and now, no idea what that means. Uh, in Fox, we were looking at the, the Clio Awards. Mm-hmm. And the Monday NBC Monday Night at the Movies, I looked for a trailer. I couldn't find it in the in the brief search. I'm sure you could if you looked for it. But it was an NBC made-for-TV movie, Roseanne and Tom Behind the Scenes. Oh, oh <laughs> to wow. see the casting that for great. that. Yeah, but uh, more exciting for us, Keith. I put together yeah. a little a little something something. Let me see if I can. Oh, find you've it. done. Mike did homework this week. Just a little two fun things because you know whenever it's Halloween, people think, oh, we got to do something special. We got to sure, do sure. Little... Yeah, we got. So, we should do something special. Monday Night Football uh, was a big big matchup. Oh, oh wow! You actually went into the assets of our show. I did. I did a whole thing, but it didn't. When since I rebooted, uh, it didn't quite. Uh, it quite work so good. It so doesn't work. It, but I really. Oh, look at that! Yeah, hey, look at that. Here we, here we have it. Oh, that's why a tittle. Oh no! Wow! Apparently, it was all robots. Why is that happening? pass would be better. Oh, there we go. Hey team! They pitched to the tails for the crypt guy. Football. Look, they did the whole, uh, the, I guess they did a crossover with uh, HBO, because that was uh, an HBO property. They are the monsters of the Midway. 
Yes. Yeah, we had a Bears game. Al Michaels when he still cared about football. They really go for it here. They got the whole. We got, got a fake Elvira. Yeah. Creatures from the north. The Green Bay. Packers. Oh wait, no, that's not Al Michaels. That's uh, Frank Gifford. Gifford, yeah. For years they have been at each other. It's a pretty good cold open. I gotta say. To yeah, I'm pumped. I'm ready to watch the game. All right, Keith. But I mean, that's pretty good. But when uh-huh. you think Halloween and you think Mondays in uh-huh. the '90s, there's uh-huh. there's one person. And it might have been the lead-up to the Survivor Series, Yokozuna and The Undertaker. Oh. Undertaker cutting a t- October 31st promo. Yokozuna, the time has come for you to pay. And at the Survivor Series, Yokozuna, when the call goes out... Is that the casket match? You yep. will know it is time for you... To rest, rest in peace. But let's also not forget. <laughs> what's ha- Oh, Paul Bear, what's happening, buddy? Yeah, sorry, Paul. He he. The doing that voice is so annoying. I can't imagine having to do that all the time. But he was oh, awesome. He's a Hall of Famer. He's um, amazing. I apologize Paul for Bear the weird great. digital sound. That's not on your side, listeners of the podcast. Something's going yeah. on with my soundboard. So uh, something's good. Something's getting goofy. You know, I'm going to complain about the jingles when they get all. Yeah, all, they're going to uh, be. They're going to be bad. Wow. Well, hey, look, that was some excellent. What was on TV that night, Mike? Really? Thanks, man. Really, really put, worked. Put hard some on effort it. into yeah, it. I'm sure. I'm, I'm glad it all exploded in my face. Do you know who also also put a lot of effort into things <laughs> uh, in the prediction world? It's Nostradamus in oh. the weekly world news headlines. Uh, guess what? It's 1994. We don't know what's going to happen, but Nostradamus does in the OJ verdict. So if you wanted to know what the verdict was going to be uh, a year before, just check out Nostradamus's prediction. Uh, apparently knew the stunning answer 500 years ago. It's not on the cover, so I don't really know what Nostradamus predicted, but uh, there it is. Just well, I think we're, a lot of people thought he was going to be found guilty, and uh, mm-hmm. Nostradamus is stunned. So maybe Keith, spoiler alert for the OJ trial. Yeah. You know what? You know what? Let's let's not be those guys. If you, I'm sure you can find it on streaming. If you really want to watch the OJ trial, <laughs> we won't give it away here. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, no spoilers. It's funny that okay. they put nothing else on the cover, so that clearly they had an editor. It was big. It was I mean, big, so they like, just put the whole cover OJ. You don't need anything else. The OJ trial was sucked up all of the oxygen uh, back in 1993, 94, 95. All right, so uh, let's, let's get into the episode proper, shall we? Mm-hmm. So this episode was directed, wait for it, by Avery Brooks, back with his second directing job here on Deep Space Nine. Of course, he last directed Tribunal. And this episode was written by D. Thomas Mayo and Steve Warnick. Both of them, this is their only IMDb credit. So uh, I bet this was a pitch that they that they put in, but but it wouldn't be a pitch because it's too tight. I don't I don't understand why these folks only wrote this one thing. Um, because it, it it couldn't have been a random sci-fi pitch because it was so tied to the story. Maybe they they got another job and got kind of contracted up. They never. There's nothing else on IMDb. 
I, I bet you, I, I bet they pitched a, we find a rapidly developing alien baby and that's the end of the pitch. And mm-hmm. they got the credit for it because then they adapted it into the Jem'Hadar story. I don't know. Interesting. I don't know the answer to that question, but uh, th- there it is. I bet somebody here does. So uh, somebody explain that situation. Uh, all right. So I think it's time to uh, see if we can computerize everyone's favorite jingle. Now Keith, waste your time with it's random. It's gonna trivia. It's the worst kind of lottery, Keith. <laughs> like it might turn out to be poop. <laughs> All right, so uh, the Jem'Hadar infant appears human. Not as a fake-out, but because you can't glue things to babies in Hollywood. Mm. Those those stupid rules, you're not allowed to paint babies or glue things to their face. So that's why the Jem'Hadar slowly transitions from a humanish look to the full Jem'Hadar. Uh, you know, it's kind of interesting. For the first, like good chunk of the episode i or once we figure out it's jemadar i was trying to figure out how perhaps it was a plant right like this wasn't how normal jemadar developed this was like oh, created specifically to be to um infiltrate the ship because they've shown they had another character the first time we met them that they were trying to set up a ruse to get them to infiltrate so i thought maybe this was a different way but then i thought if they can just kind of like beam on board what, what's the point of this of doing it that way so it was kind of a all the ruse. Well, but but it's interesting because the Dominion has already proven to both be capable of brute force, mm-hmm. but also long term complicated deception. Yeah, at the same time. So well, and uh, also like a we we've garnered a little deference from them since Odo's one of them because they let us go, and right? we, did, we are not active. We are currently not actively antagonizing them. We're not in. Yeah, the, I mean. You know, the Odo part of this is is fascinating yeah. and certainly a huge part of the story. So, uh, two quick production things. According to the star dates on this show, the pilot of Star Trek Voyager, Caretaker, actually takes place between this episode and the next episode of Deep Space Nine, <laughs> despite not airing until January. Cool. And uh, the final draft of this script was turned in on August 30th. 1994, which means they turned it around from finishing the script to airing in only eight weeks, Dang. which is crazy to me. That's uh, that's South Park style. That is real quick turnaround. And lastly, and I think this is going to help inform our conversation. So director star Avery Brooks saw this episode as something of a metaphorical study of racial tension and gang culture. Hmm. According to Brooks... For me, it was very much a story about young brown men and, to some extent, a story about society that is responsible for the creation of a generation of young men who are feared, who are addicted, and potential killers. Um, which is really fascinating that that is where he's coming from. And you totally see the, see the parallels there. And I think it does inform where this is coming from in... You know, here we are in Los Angeles mm-hmm. in the early 90s after the riots, after, come, you know, coming up on the OJ verdict. There's a lot of subtext going on that Avery Brooks is working into the storytelling here. I think that that's, you know, that's an important delineation that we don't 
we're not always super conscious of when we're watching television or movies or me- consuming media is that maybe, like I wasn't thinking about drug-addicted youth and men of color in my viewing of this episode. However, learning about it, I can definitely see those influences. And whether ever whether or not you pick them up when you're consuming media, recognize that directors and actors and other production folk are imbuing their own um, motivations and subtexts and thoughts into the, 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 the media you're consuming, whether or not it's overt or even in the script, right? It's what, what's inspiring yeah. them does come through in some ways. Well, and, and, and certainly, you know, stories like this, that's this is where sci-fi is great, is that you, you imbue these stories with empathy, for these characters and and we're 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 looking at a world in which you know this kid right this this Jem Hadar kid is set up by its own society through its own creation to become this thing out of their own choice out of their own whatever that whether it's whether it's conditional whether it's with nature or nurture some combination of the two um you're you're gaining empathy for this person and so if you make this connection or not the empathy and and the and the the look towards greater accountability, mm. right? This this is a story about like is this Jem Hadar violent or is he forced to be violent? And who's really responsible for the way this kid, you know, this person turns out? Anyway, it's fascinating. I love that Avery Brooks saw that parallel. Uh, makes a lot of sense to me. So let's talk about what Voyager was doing. And uh, I'll tell you what, they were filming season one at this point. We have not, we won't start airing for another two months, uh, but they were actually two months into filming because the pilot of Star Trek Voyager was, began filming on September 6th, 1994. Um, And so they had already gone through starting the pilot, recasting Janeway after they started filming. Uh, Lots of, it's a, crazy story that once we get to Voyager because we're definitely going to get to Voyager we're going to have to uh, tell all of that story Mike looks sad every time I say it so I say it a lot just to make him look sad can I tell you something I did for the podcast what'd you do for the podcast Mike I found a website uh, and pre-ordered the Prodigy Janeway figure just so that I would be able to get a shipping notification when they are actually available and see if that's part of the first wave Okay, wow, look at that. All right, so let's talk about guest stars on this episode, including Bumper Robinson as the teenage Jem Hadar, Jill Sayer as Marda, Leslie Beavis as Rionaj, maybe, we, uh, the purple-haired alien who we last saw in Homecoming, and Hassan Nichols as the child Jem Hadar. Let's head over to the screening room, Mike. It's not going to be on. Oh, yeah, it is. Okay, okay good. Woo, we did it. <laughs> what a mess. I really just oh. keep going. Okay, yeah, you really do. I mean, it's it's it, sometimes we need to let that just play out in the clear because yeah. it is truly majestic. <laughs> All right, so in our teaser, it's a busy day at Quarks, and we shaky cam down to the Dabo tables, where the focus of the shot is 
Never mind. A butthead alien wins a spin and is oh, very so excited. Good. You call him the, butthead. That's actually pretty good. I called him, um, I think I called him a Cinnabon head. Cinnabon head. Yeah, well, my, yours sounds more delicious. Mm-hmm. I could really go for a Cinnabon right now. Uh, so he wins a spin. He's very excited. The Bajoran Dabo lady grins at <gasps> Jake, who is sitting at a table watching she entices Butthead to keep playing by flirting with him, and Jake is not pleased. But Quark is, when, of course, Butthead loses. So the Dabo girl sits down with Jake and reminds him that they're having dinner with his dad. Mm-hmm. Jake says, uh-oh. Ben set it up without telling him, and we find out they're dating. Whew. What's then the actor a- who plays Jake's name again? Sarah Clofton. And you know what his uh, internal monologue is right now? Look up, look up, look up, look up, look look up, look up, look up. That is also my internal <laughs> monologue. <laughs> Whew, I, I'm really glad when I... <clears throat> anyway, so the purple-haired alien lady from Homecoming comes up to Quark to sell him some salvage. It's the wreckage from a ship that crashed in the Gamma Quadrant. They negotiate, and Quark goes to the cargo bay to inspect. And inside, there's just a bunch of junk. But, uh-oh, a baby? I, we didn't uh, really comment on that. Quark really doesn't know how to negotiate without hard flirting, right? I think Quark is just hard susceptible to flirting, which is, and everybody sort of knows it, so he's... He's not a great negotiator when there is a a lady in question, which is understandable. So he finds the pod, and inside we hear crying, uh uh-oh, and we begin Act 1. Bashir inspects the baby, while Cisco is in... I have my own baby container. You do? (laughs) Well, you know, they they cry, so you want to soundproof it. (laughs) Also, it's really cheap and yeah. looks sort of sci-fi. Um, so, uh, Cisco is annoyed with Quark for accidentally human trafficking. Dak says, the purple-headed alien is gone. And Bashir says, I don't know what species this baby is, but it's growing at a remarkable rate. Cisco picks up the baby and is delighted. Dad mode engaged. Dax says they're going to reach out to an orphanage, but Cisco is too excited. So, uh, cute baby. And so you can see here, uh, they so according to the behind the scenes, they attach the little goober on the forehead, and it's it's not even glued. It's like just sort of KY jelly just to make it stick. Uh, but uh, did you ever see um, <laughs> Sasha Baron Cohen in his, I think this is America series, like did a thing testing out stage parents and what they put their baby through, and it is one of the most like upsetting and terrifying well, sequences you've ever seen. I don't know if you watched the rehearsal with um, Nathan Fillion. Not Nathan Fillion. I keep saying that Nathan, <clears throat> the comedian Nathan for you. It's an HBO show. Oh, uh, yeah, it's insane, and what parents will allow them to do with it because he uses a lot of babies in this in this experiment he does, and it's it's pretty crazy. It's probably a similar thing. Yeah, it's terrifying. Terrifying. But this seems pretty reasonable. It's Nathan. Whatever. Yeah. So uh, Dax seizes, teases Cisco about how entranced he is by the baby. 
Sisko talks about how much he loved raising Jake when he was little. Later, in Sisko's quarters, Jake is playing on his iPad when Ben comes in. Which is, you know, again, this is the 90s. That is exactly what everybody's doing Mm -hmm. right now, and it looks exactly like that. It's pretty cool. Uh, So, uh, Jake is pissed that his father invited Marta, his girlfriend, over for dinner, and he's clearly nervous. So, in sickbay... Cisco shows up for an update on the baby. But, guess what? The baby's no longer a baby. It's a full-on child who looks to be about nine or so. Uh, And they have clearly went to Garrick's to get him some Jem'Hadar outfits already. It is surprising to me that the casting was just like, whatever. Because this age looks completely different than next age Jem'Hadar. But I guess, you know... I'm I'm using my human, my, my well, human brain. That, well, that's right. And also, like the, I, I think from a both from from two production elements, right? From the practical, like they couldn't apply the appliances, they couldn't paint the baby. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but also to spin out the mystery, the whole Jem Hadar of it all had to transition slowly. Had yeah. to sort of get that gray scaliness. Uh, Little bit by little bit, otherwise it would have been very jarring and given away what it was. That said, this particular actor at this age, he only has a few lines, but I actually think he's like, this is a really good performance because he keeps it very neutral and very void of emotion. He's speaking very much from a place of just instinct and -hmm. biological need, and then that plays forward quite a bit when we see the next transition. So, yeah, kudos to this guy. Indeed. So Bashir says he's never seen anything like it. Then the child speaks, and he's hungry, and he asks where he is and wants to learn. Uh, He has advanced language skills and cognitive skills apparently built into his genetics, possibly, probably artificially created. Because you really think about the genetic technology it takes to instantly have language and cognitive reasoning. Like, that's that's some pretty high-level genetic work. Well, think about that, right? So millions of years of evolution just to encode basic survival skills for some animals. Like, right. you know, for us, it seems... Un- in- Bite the thing that's bothering you. Yeah, I mean, there are now there are mammals that are much higher developed than us, and fish and stuff, that can yeah. walk right away and can kind of hunt right away. But yeah. uh, this is pretty, pretty... Language is pretty advanced. Language is pretty, pretty and, and English, yeah. Although the universal translator, but but I'm okay. So here's here's like a, a canon question, right? So universal translator will translate you know whatever language into English if it knows it. So it clearly has already learned whatever Jem'Hadar speak, mm-hmm. right? Whatever the Dominion speaks, the fact that it translated it right away means they should have known huh so the translator know is familiar with whatever this language is or as you said the founders are so advanced that they programmed the jemhadar to speak all languages they might encounter i totally totally possible uh but i i think the the language of it all gets greeked you yeah. know on the show a lot mm-hmm. Even though, like, they would have... Actually, Enterprise did a good job of addressing this a little bit by 
you know, it's it's set in in a prequel, so there's the Universal Translator is not nearly as powerful as it is. So you deal with a lot more language issues, which I would imagine would be a big part of it in real life. So anyway, we go to the cargo bay, and O'Brien shows Cisco the pod the baby was found in. And we find out that apparently it's a stasis chamber designed to keep the baby from maturing. And they uh, talk a little shop and discuss dinner with Marta. Apparently she's 20 and Jake is 16, so that's a hard no. Uh, Cisco agrees he's going to put a stop to it. O'Brien makes a joke of it that uh, would not fly today. Um, I mean, like, I get it, but also, like, it, reverse the genders and and have your uh, have your college junior picking up his high school junior or make or make Jake 18 you know it's they picked very specific numbers that make it a little too ambiguous well i mean the the <clears throat> idea is we're trying to make it uncomfortable we're trying to make it that she's too old and also like she's walking around with basically no clothes on the entire episode um although i, I address it later the actress is not 20 She's 18 and like a day, which is a little uncomfortable. Well, also, they there's the hard implication. They've never outright said it, but there's a hard implication that Dabo girls aren't just cocktail waitresses. Well, that's certainly the hard implication of that's what Quark would like to do. Uh, it's Cisco never ex- shut it down, but it's, it's never explicitly stated, but... There's, like I said, there's inference, and they and are highly sexualized. Yes. Whatever they're doing, yes, um, and that that is that is very clear. But you know, which, which is not to say that there's any like even if they're doing sex work, that's totally fine. Like that's as long as it's truly consensual and, and mutually yeah, beneficial. I'm just saying that would add However, a, that adds a wrinkle to your parental to dilemma. the discomfort yeah. for yeah. No, and I and, and I, I think and, I think you know. I'm trying not to get too caught up in the age thing because I think the, the that the message and the, the the what they're trying to say with the back and forth, not just about right. Ben's n- lack of knowledge of of Jake's growing, yeah. but also the oh, the the assumptions made about Marta. So right, no, and I, I and other than the age, the 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 child adult barrier in the age gap i really like that part of the story well, and then let's and let's say with a, a high degree of certainty because we know the writers and the lore and whatnot that they're not having a sexual relationship it does not appear it seems like they're having a very uh, um emotional and uh edu- <laughs> uh literary relationship Lit- literary <laughs> Yes, well, clearly that's not the only thing they're doing. Mm-hmm. Anyway, let's let's just keep going. <laughs> There's, you know, some light petting. <laughs> <laughs> yes, mild petting. Yeah, yeah okay. So uh, later, uh, Kira goes to hand Odo a bunch of old dead flowers to help him decorate Odo's new quarters. Uh, he's never had quarters before, and she wants to come in and see, but Odo is reluctant. But eventually he lets her inside and shows her that it kind of looks like the sculpture garden uh, filled with those silver snake deals we all got for Christmas in 1992. Did you get one of those? Yeah, dude. Totally. Yeah, of course. We all did. Uh, and it was instantly recognizable. Like, oh, yeah, every everybody's like uncle gave every kid that because they didn't really know what to get them. Yeah, it was cool. It was, it was mandatory, 1992. Anyway, uh, 
he also, it also kind of looks like the sculpture garden on the Changeling world. And instead of a bucket, what he's decided to do is goo around the room exploring himself, which sounds way dirtier than I intended. I mean, who? Hey, what time, I was 14 when this episode came out. I was gooing around the room and exploring myself, too. <laughs> who amongst us was not? Wow, when you, you're right. When you say it out loud, that's not... <laughs> Poor mom. <laughs> oh, Rita, I really hope you watch this episode. Mike, I, you want me to wash these socks? No! <laughs> they just shattered. <laughs> <laughs> explicit. Yeah. Put an explicit yeah. warning on this yeah, episode. Why can, I, why can I flip these with a spatula? <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. This is disgusting. Where was I? Uh, okay, so... Uh, golly. Uh, Odo no longer uses the bucket because he's evolved, but he's kept it as a memory of how he used to be. Kira realizes that she's intruded, but he says she's always welcome. He then symbolically puts the flowers in his, into his old bucket and smiles, and Kira is delighted. Uh, and I'm delighted by this character development mm-hmm. for for Odo here. Um, so many the, stories are being told in this little scene. So many tons of stories. And and it's it's not overplayed. But think about the Odo we knew mm-hmm. in season one, season two, basically before he found his people. This is, again, where Deep Space Nine's real strength is, right? What happens changes the characters. They're actual character developments. And we see Odo blossoming. Mm-hmm. As a character, as he's as he's starting that, to but grow, <clears throat> Odo, and because of Renee's casting, which I think is pretty ingenious, and throughout has very much felt like an elder statesman, very much mm-hmm. felt like a mature <clears throat> voice with gravitas. Right. And here, and how wonderful here in an episode where we're sort of dealing with Jake's adolescence and his growing into a man, that we see Odo almost kind of revert and yeah. restart a journey. From his sort of adolescence, knowing who he is with the full knowledge of his self and kind of growing along as well. Which I, that's such a, that's a really good point. And it's, it, and I, but I, I think that is also part of the human condition, right? Because we're, we are conditioned to grow up as fast as we humanly can. And like as fast as we possibly can throw out the childish things and be old. And so, you know, there, there are fewer older people in the universe than like 20 year olds. Mm-hmm. Right. And then you start to become a little bit more comfortable in your own skin. You start to get you to know yourself a little bit better. Not that way, Mike. Uh, but you, you, uh, yeah. Uh, and, and you start to re embrace stuff that you'd put And frankly, you know, not to get like too deep into it. Like my relationship with star Trek was this way. Right, because as a child, I was a huge Star Trek fan, huge Star Trek nerd, loved everything about it. My my enthusiasm was unbridled and and public. Then, you know, you get bullied, you get picked on, you know, uh, in school, and partially because of it, and you have and you start to associate it with vulnerability. So you sort of like, oh, I'm gonna that's for kids. I'm gonna put that aside, put that aside, put that aside, and then you spend your twenties sort of 
not really paying attention, sort of stepping away from it. And then when you get, you know, I got a little bit more comfortable in my skin. I'm like, you know what? No, you know what? Fuck you. I really do like this. And I don't need to feel embarrassed or feel ashamed about it. I really care about this. And I really like this. And to embrace that child, like, you know, all the Star Trek toys I had behind me, I got it as an adult. Yeah. Right? Because I have re-embraced, just like Odo, you know what? This is who I am. I'm going to go back and 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 embrace this in a way that I shunted aside due to my own insecurity for a long time. Yeah. So, uh, where am I? So, later, in the replimat, Bashir explains to Dax that the kid was definitely a product of genetic engineering. And he's missing a key enzyme that if he doesn't get large quantities of, he will literally die. Bashir doesn't understand why they would engineer him with such an obvious flaw. Then the nurse calls and says, there's an emergency. We get an interesting point of view shot of terrified people. And whoever our point of view is punches Bashir and runs. Until he runs into and through Odo. He is revealed to be a gem Hadar. And when he sees Odo, and Odo is a changeling, he stops immediately. So in like five seconds of, of TV here, we get so much information. Mm-hmm. Um, so what, like for, for you and Jen, notice it, this is the first time you saw that he was a gem Hadar. Mm-hmm. And what were you like? Yeah, what was, were you feeling? it was cool, and I definitely still thought here that it was... I didn't put it to... <clears throat> it's funny how the pacing must be good because I wasn't wrapping the whole circle yet that, oh, this is how they all are engineered. I still thought this was a very unique one-off scenario that mm. was... Tri- like, I don't. I didn't quite know... I thought we were going to be discovering that the whole trade was a, a, a ruse a to get the baby yeah. into the cargo bay. They would obviously find him, and they would delay the... But... Uh, I think that's good. I, I don't think that that is was un, unintentional, right? I think is specifically left un, uh, ambiguous, so that as we learn more, uh, we find out kind of how maybe dastardly the founders really are. Because you know, to just kind of basically, they're basically human trafficking, right? They're like getting uh-huh. addicted and <laughs> I mean, they're well, making they're, this they're, subservient and and yeah, they're sort of enslaved and addicted mm-hmm. and. And, uh, you know, just literally a subservient species that you invent yourself. Yeah. What if, what if the sl- you could, you could, like you said, chemically enslave without having to use chains right? and all kinds of stuff? Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, it's, it is both brilliant and horrible mm-hmm. <laughs> all at the same time. Um, and then when you know, now I'm starting to think when you start to, I don't want to get into PS Beats right now, but. When yeah. you start putting in Avery Brooks's spin, you start thinking about the 80s in America yes. and crack. and Or the 2020s today. Yeah, oh, fentanyl. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, what is being done our, or what we're allowing, maybe tacitly, you know, inaction is, is allowing. Uh, well, 100%. But, you know, but also, like, you know, within our lifetimes, the secret experiments uh being done on people of color, like by the CIA, by the whatever, like it's, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, oof. My, it is. This is not unprecedented, folks. Mm-hmm. This is very much within the 
within our own lifetime, within our own history. And that's just a sliver of what this is about, right? And 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 right. not even the the surface level. The surface level, I think, is it's more about choosing your own path. What can we control? Right. Parenthood. There's so much going go. on here. Yeah. So much going on here. So in Act Two, there's a meeting in the wardroom. And Cisco says that the Federation is going to take custody of the Jem'Hadar and study him. Odo immediately objects and says he'll be a lab specimen and an, an obvious parallel to his own life. Uh, Odo, by the way, is wearing a, his belt here in this episode, which I don't think we've seen before. Mm. It's not going to stick around for a while, but it is something that he wanted to adapt from the, uh, um, from the, uh, the crossover episode. Uh, anyway, Bashir agrees, and Dax says it's possible that the Founders removed his ability to control his will genetically, and says this this guy could be dangerous and may not have any ability not to be dangerous. Kira agrees, says yeah, but Odo offers to take custody and responsibility for him, and he can tell that the Jem'Hadar has a natural deference to Odo, possibly another genetic alteration from the Founders. Uh, also fascinating. Everyone leaves except for Cisco and Odo, and Cisco tells Odo he's not responsible for what the Founders did. Odo still cares about him and wants to guide him. And, you know, again, how difficult a position is Odo in here? Uh, you know, again, layers upon layers upon layers. Uh, Cisco agrees to the plan, but says, be careful. He'll delay Starfleet, but you only have so much time. So we arrive at the brig, which now has a big, beautiful conference table. Uh, I'm guessing for people to meet with their lawyers. Makes sense. Yeah, fair. And the Jem'Hadar is freaking out, and Bashir is trying to explain what's happening. That he's going through withdrawal from the missing enzyme. Odo arrives, and the Jem'Hadar calms down immediately. He tells him to sit down, but apparently... He was given the genetic ability to speak a full language, but does not know how to operate a chair. Well. As you can see from the screenshot. Uh, chair, chairs is a bridge too far. Chairs are hard. Bashir can't get him to cooperate with more testing so we can figure out how to synthesize the enzyme. Maybe, Keith. <clears throat> Mike fixes plot hole. Maybe. Uh -huh. They've also been engineered, if they're an enslaved species, they don't get R&R. &R. They don't sit. They don't relax. They're constantly working around in... in uh... That would make sense. Sure. They don't They do not do chairs. Which is a, it's a, it's actually a good point. Um, you'd think, though, process of elimination, you could probably make a better guess as to well, how to sit on smart, it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, educated guess. Like, how do I operate this chair? <laughs> Let me hop up and down on it. I speak 100,000 languages, but chairs are tough. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> anyway, uh, Bashir's trying to get him to trying to figure out how to synthesize the enzyme, but Odo says cooperate, and he does immediately. Odo tries to get to know him and figure out what he wants, and all he wants to do, Mike, is fight. And Odo tries to make him smile. It's awkward. Uh, I think Odo smiling, period, is awkward, but also trying to make him smile, awkward. So we cut to the fateful dinner in Cisco's office. And Cisco serves Marta some really spicy shrimp creole. Hold on, can we time out? This is my favorite yeah. sequence. Boop. Boop. <laughs> awkward. So weird. Awkward, awkward. 
So, uh, you know, Cisco serving something crazy spicy on a first date is a, it's a bold choice. Mm-hmm. I mean, I might have, like, asked her if she likes spice first. Because, like, the Bajorans, like, they basically only eat, like, softened roots and stuff. And so I don't I understand. think he wanted to maybe, like, get her to start farting so that she would be, she would embarrass herself and Jake would be no longer interested. That's what I think. <laughs> it's all... <laughs> It's a fart. (laughs) Wow. Uh, Yeah, well, fair enough. It it all comes back to farts in the end at some point. Make sure to stick around to the very end of the episode for Chancellor Jen's uh, comments. Okay, I I can't wait. So he asks. It should be said that she might not be eighteen. She might be eighteen here, Keith, but she reads old. They the the she reads a lot older than him. I I I, it's coming up in my thing. Which I think is, is... I was like, oh, okay, she's clearly 36 and has been on many things. A million percent! Yeah. Yes! Oh, yeah, so the casting here is interesting. She's great, but the makeup looks like she... Well, the makeup looks and she acts 30, which accentuates the age difference. Yeah, it was weird. Despite the character being 20 and the actress only 18. Well, because when Ben... Or when Jake leaves the room and it's just Ben and her, I was like, oh, I could sense some heat. <laughs> well, sure! <laughs> yeah. But but yeah no it she definitely does not yeah that it it definitely makes the age difference feel like whoa yeah which is obviously not her fault she's she's gorgeous but clearly the lighting and the makeup or whatever sort of made her look older than she was um anyway so uh, we learn more about Marta. also just Jake's performance is still very youthful right even as he's maturing yeah. and getting older and, and and that's fine there's nothing wrong with that it's just hard to and and maybe this is good as a viewer actually it's hard to swallow his like not swallow it's hard to get up to speed with his his maturation but that's what ben's dealing with too so it's sort of well and also i it's i think it's the perfect reality of being 16 right and it's like you're you you may have an adult's body but your your brain is still kid in, in a lot of different ways. You have a foot in both camps. Yeah. And and it really, it's a very awkward time for any number of reasons. And also why we should not treat 16-year-olds like adults. Because their brain's still 16. Uh, anyway. So, uh, uh, where am I? Oh, so we learn more about her. She's a war orphan. Estranged from the rest of her family because she became a Dabo girl. But... She's also a... So her family's super judgy, like Ben. Uh, but she's also a writer. And she turns... she's She outs Jake as a great poet. Uh, he's also a writer and plays Domjot. Ben is learning a lot about his son. As long as the two of them are not playing Domjot, am I right? I... Yeah, yeah there's, there's, a, there's a, lot of, a lot of that being the implication there as well. However, put a pin in Jake as a writer. Okay. Uh, because, you know, like I, I say, like this episode is important for, for a lot of stuff. It lays some track. That's going to, that's, that's going to grow. That's going to be a thing, um, which is, uh, which is cool. And this is the first time we hear of it. And I love how we reveal the information through a girlfriend and Ben had no idea mm. because again, talking about the, 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 the growth in, and Jake is growing up, which means Ben doesn't know everything anymore. Um, interesting. So we head to the cargo bay. I also love that a- Ben sends him away 
to get some one-on-one time, but she's ready for that conversation. Right, because she's 35. <laughs> she's been around. She's met with the parents before. I mean, she had the same talk with her kid. So, yeah. Uh, anyway, so O'Brien finds a crate of the Jem'Hadar's missing enzyme. He finds the vials of the enzyme, and Odo speculates that this is the founder's way of ensuring loyalty of the Jem'Hadar. Like we said. Where were these crates going? Like, where was the original shipment for this stuff going? I That there I don't was a know. Jem'Hadar baby in it with all of his, like, accoutrement. This is, you'd think they would just, like, bring, if they were, there's an adoption situation or whatnot, they would bring the baby with, like, why was he amongst cargo? Well, be, well I bet, well, if this was a Dominion ship, they would have a, a mess of them. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't be sending just one at a time. Maybe it got stolen. They stole a Jem'Hadar baby and then crashed. Maybe they got shot down and the Jem'Hadar abandoned. Yeah, it's it's not really clear. It's not really talked about. Um, You'd think there'd be, for such an advanced species, there'd be some sort of tracking device on this, but like they would know that there's a missing... It seems to be very important, so... Well, the Jem'Hadar as a in general, are very important. But the individual Jem'Hadar, I don't think so. Yeah, but you wouldn't want your technology... It's like, you know, a government wouldn't want their technology falling into the wrong hands. We could reverse engineer their sort of systems. In fact, uh, Bashir does just that. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's true. Well, it depends on how, you know, if it was stolen, maybe it was... I mean, it's a pretty impressive feat to steal a Jem'Hadar, period. They'd probably be able to do it without being detected. I mean, I would imagine that the founders would have warehouses full of Jem'Hadar babies ready to to put into play when they need them. Mm. Sort of like the Clone Wars sort of a deal. Um, So, I don't know. Before the Clone Wars came out. So, uh, anyway. uh, Bashir and Odo attach the device that pumps the drug into the young Jem'Hadar and starts giving it to him. And it helps the withdrawal almost immediately. And now that he's feeling better... He wants to stay with Odo. Can I say, Keith? Yes. We've seen a lot of amazing designs, right? For some reason, it's simple details, right? For the rest of the episode, when he walks around in his little suit and he's got the little tube thing, I think it's the coolest alien design I've seen across Trek for me. I just think that little thing, just the kind of thing with the... So many stories being told, and it's almost a Vader-esque mask kind of thing, keeping mm-hmm. it pumped in. Do we see yeah. those on all yeah, the Jem'Hadar, we, if you go back and look? You do. In fact, I mentioned it. Um, we see them starting in this season. I don't. Th- we didn't see them the first season. They hadn't developed it. But I mentioned in the search, part one or part two, I forget which one, that there was a little detail in the Jem'Hadar uniform that I wasn't going to point out. Mm. That was it. I think it's so cool. It's we so, see the tubes. It's so awesome. It's brilliant. It's, Not just from a like a design perspective. I think it's really cool, and then it's like slowly dosing into them. But it it continues to tell a story of like the horror and the treachery. Like these people are so, and it, and it adds a, such a, a cool level to the Jem'Hadar because they've up to this, this point for me at least been sort of uh, salivating bad guys, right? But right. now we see that they're also an oppressed people. Right, and they have a vulnerability for the first time. Yes, and a, and a kryptonite. So it's pretty, yeah. so many no, levels. I, I mean, honestly, I completely agree with you. 
the 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 drug I'm not going to it gets named later but like I think it is genius. I also think there's a creator out there that we haven't met yet that has mm-hmm. somehow got a little bubbler and has inserted it into an Gemhadar and it has the activated little tube and I want to see it. If you've got it or if you haven't I mean that's really hard to do on that tiny scale though. Somebody did, or something, or maybe on the long one of the bigger figures. I, I'm, I'm just saying, I, I, yeah. it's a cool idea. The concept. Yeah, I no, I mean, it's it's absolutely genius. And the the what we learn here about the design of the Gem Hadar, like you know what they are, where they are, what their deal is, which is why I really like this episode mm-hmm. because it informs, you know, you know, this is not going to be the last we see of the Gem Hadar. Spoiler alert. Right. But this is all so important and so fascinating and so well thought out, right? The the founders designing them, they're really well designed. And, yeah, and their and skin it, is very much like uh, they're, they're, they're clearly built as defense shields, right? And brute, they're the tanks going in. and they're, they're the tanks, you know, but like the genetic design of the whole thing – it elevates the founders as an adversary. Like they're so smart, mm-hmm. they're ruthless, but th- their whole plan here, their whole idea here, really well thought out, um, including the addiction, including Is, the, the way. Well, maybe you shouldn't tell me, but like the Gemhadar can't be the only species that the founders have created. Clearly, if they had this technology, they'd create a whole but cl- class system, right? You'd D and D it. Well, y- yes. Well, and and. You know, we know. I mean, we know the Vorta. Y'all right. So, who are the sort of the the thief? The, I guess. Well, they're the they're rogue. the brains. Yeah, they're 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 the people. Oh, the Vorta. Who was the girl? Who was like the ruse when they were trapped? Yeah, that that was the Vorta. Okay. Yeah, so we, we've met two of them so far, and they're in charge of the Gem Hadar. They're the middle management. Okay. Um. Who who are the face because the founders don't reveal themselves or hadn't uh, until we until we met them, um, and we know that they're genetically manipulated as well. So um, so yeah, eh, you're right. Uh, all right, so Odo and the Gem Hadar are in Odo's quarter. They discuss Odo's difficulty mimicking humanoid faces. The Gem Hadar talks about his instincts. Odo is better than everyone. But he is better than everyone else. He's been bred to believe that the Founders are always right. And Odo tells him that the Founders are not infallible, and neither am I. And he asks him, what do you really want to do? Like, who, and, and, you know, again, so there's genetic knowledge and also genetic will. He he genetically believes himself Mm -hmm. to be below... The founders and the founders are infallible. I mean, did... yeah. So this is hold on. I also I'm, we get we keep basically doing the end of our episode. But I'm going to put another pin in here too. <clears throat> yes, we we kept going back to enslavement before, but there's also an element of indoctrination, right? So for me, as we talked about on K and M Geekly, which you can check out on our feed and on your podcast services of choice, I am upset. Obsessed is the very wrong word, but I am very interested in the understanding of cults. Mm. It's also very much sure. cult, cult thinking, right? You have a very specific hierarchy structure where one person or this race or this species 
is all-knowing, is omnipotent in many ways, or is a deity yeah. in many ways. Yeah. And then your entire caste structure is built underneath that. And so can you can you get out from underneath that? Uh, and does Odo fall susceptible to it here by believing that because this kid puts him in that, or he is kind of ordained in that one spot, that he can control him? Uh, very interesting. Well, and... Oh, <laughs> Uh-oh, I just... What just happened? I don't know, you broke something. There's my cable, hold on. My audio whole system went down. Just, uh... I'm back, I'm back. Okay. I got so excited. Uh, and the element of... Um, Yes, indoctrination, but this is genetic indoctrination, which is adds another like mm -hmm. a science element to it, which is fascinating. Uh, all right, we will. This is a much longer conversation. We're going to continue uh, all for the rest of the series. So, uh, what the Jem'Hadar wants is to know more about his people, and Odo says, "You know, sometimes the truth is not always pleasant." He knows for sure. So he plays him some footage of the Jem'Hadar fighting from The Search Part 2. He's like, look at this episode. It's great. And Odo explains that he comes from a species of brutal warriors, but he can channel his rage in other ways. So do they, go, they go to the Hollow Suites and let him fight stuff. He can kill whoever he wants there, but needs to learn to contain his aggression in the real world, which is a very enlightened way to handle it. Um, and definitely, uh, you know, something that should not be shamed today. Keith. So he, yes. I did some research. Uh, what? Another fascinating thing about this episode and this scene particularly and the kind of the lore of it and the time frame in which it was shot. So think about it. Okay, well, what a great way for violence or aggression to be channeled, right? Basically, right. theoretically, in a safe, through a, controlled, in a safe way. controlled way, I play a video game, perhaps, or mm -hmm. experience that. What was happening in Congress at this time? Well, Keith, it just turns out that oh, damn we, had, we, had, we had just finished those really eye-opening congressional hearings, and on September 16th, 1994, nay, one month... Mm. Prior to this episode, the ESRB was formed, where we started sticking uh, labels and ratings on our video games. Parental advisor, mm. explicit lyrics as well as yep. this, yes. So uh, this would have been a uh, mature, uh, M for mature video game in the Hollow Suites. A hundred percent, yeah, no, I mean, that was a, that was a big deal. Like, video games are going to turn everyone into, like, horrible killers and maybe... Take away that violent video game and just give them something safe and American, like an AR-15. Yeah, interesting that Star Trek, clearly this is a scene that I think is uh, maybe not direct commentary, but just kind of posing an acknowledgement in some way. Yeah, well, I mean, and the the more enlightened way to handle this kind of stuff. So the Jem'Hadar kills work? the first guy. Not in this case, no. He kills the first guy easily, and they increase the difficulty. Kira enters and is concerned. She pulls Odo out and says, what, what are you doing? Odo thinks he's building trust, but Kira is afraid he's not going to be able to control him. Odo makes a great point that each of them, 
Odo and Kira were also trained to be something else and chose to be something different. Kira a terrorist and Odo a founder. He goes back into the Suite and ends the program. They walk through the promenade and everybody is afraid of the Jem'Hadar. Odo asks if he cares about anything other than killing. And the Jem'Hadar says, nope. It's usually they never give him a name. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I will point out uh, Ben... He or uh, Avery Brooks really biffed it here. This weird blocking of having Avery like lean against a pole, and then not Avery, um, Renee, Renee lean against a pole and then like peek forward from it. Really was weird, but that's all. That's my one critique. It was weird. Yeah, there's there's a couple of weird. The, the first shaky cam. Yeah, the POV. Into Odo's. I'm like, what what are you doing? Anyway, uh, so Cisco calls. And Odo has a security guard escort the Jem'Hadar back to his quarters and goes to Sisko's office where he tells Odo that Starfleet is going to pick up the Jem'Hadar in five hours. Odo protests. Then the Jem'Hadar becomes visible in the office holding a phaser, says, you're not going to send me anywhere. Um, which leaves me to one question here and I don't remember if it's addressed later in the series it probably is but the ability for the Jem'Hadar to cloak is genetic and not technological are they cloaking or is he winking right is he winking between two spaces or is he just did he no, sneak he's around cloaked. okay he's he's cloaked um because that's you, even you more teleport scary. that'd right. be super scary um, so, because I I always assume that was genetic, but in this case, I mean, uh, uh, technological, but he's able to do it without the technology. So I'm a little unclear. So uh, somebody answer that question oh, below. I'm point. sure it's been yeah. addressed, and I just don't remember it. Um, but uh, yeah, that that was the one thing I was like, huh. Um, anyway, still pretty cool. He obviously overpowered the guard and got a phaser. So we begin the next act, and the Jem'Hadar says, give me a runabout, I'm getting out of here, and I'm taking Odo with me. I also love here, and we've earned it, right? We've earned that uh, Odo and Ben have a whole conversation here with no dialogue. Odo says exactly what's going to happen, and he's like, here's what Ben's going to do, and Ben's completely on board with it. A, because it's the only tactical real move but also just an utter trust between these two men and that's that's saying something because because renee in many episodes excuse me um odo in many episodes has acted in a in not starfleet manner right he has he has right. done things he skirted the surface of uh of the correct correct ethical ethical thing to do so i thought this was just a cool we're all on the same page strategically moment yeah so they walk through the station and Odo tries to convince him to go somewhere different than Starfleet or the Dominion. And he offers to go with him. He said, let's go somewhere where there's neither of them and let's go together, which is a crazy when you think about mm-hmm. it. But the Jem'Hadar says, I just want to be with my people, with the Jem'Hadar, and that you have been corrupted by these humanoids. So Cisco and three security guards then beam to the airlock and block the way to the runabout. Uh, which makes sense. But Odo says, let us go. I'll take the boy back to his people and come back. I thought Cisco, for sure someone was getting murdered here. Because yeah. they always beam in with, you know, he's got 
his the crew, even though I've been saying he should have security people, right? So here well, we get those sec- are security people. I know that, but so now that we're getting security people, it's like, oh, it's just extras playing security people. They get they get they get blasted. But yeah, oh, that they're gonna get red shirted. I think the episode is stronger for them not being murdered. Uh, however, this this uh, screenshot. Uh, okay, so so Avery, um, we're gonna we're gonna cast some extras to play security. Is there anything in particular that you would you'd want from them? Yeah, I need to be seven feet taller than them. Okay, so like nobody over five two. No. Yeah. yeah okay. No. Okay. Great. Great. But it's, it's weird because there's there's supposed to be security, yeah. right? <laughs> no, but I should be a monstrosity. <laughs> okay, but I, I don't know. Listen, if they... I'm the director. Just get me some shorties. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Uh, so Odo says, let us go. I'll take him to his people and come back. And Cisco says, what makes you think he'll let you come back? And Odo says, I don't believe he can hurt a changeling. And so Cisco agrees to tell Starfleet that he couldn't stop him without killing the boy, which is true. And the Jem'Hadar says, I now know that anyone who isn't a Jem'Hadar is an enemy. And they head off. So later, Jake and Marda walk through the promenade. Cisco has decided to let them keep dating. And Odo sits down with Kira and tells her that, you know what? You were right about the boy. And that he uh, couldn't be controlled and he couldn't overcome his his background. Thus concluding the Rocky Five plotline of this episode as well. Thus conf- concluding the Rocky Five, but it's a kind of a really scary and non-Star Trek-y ending. Yeah. Yes. It's completely not what I expected because you figured there'd be some sort of dangling Chad of hope, you know, because yeah. that's very Star Trek and, you know, anything could happen, the kid could change his mind or maybe, but no. The fact like, that Odo is so finite in believing that, oh, we can't override those genetics, I guess, is very yeah. nihilistic, right? For uh... Well, it's, yeah, I mean, it's very bleak. And, you know, it is it is bleak for the standpoint of the Jem'Hadar that they are sort of beyond help. Mm-hmm. They are beyond saving. Um, and it's scary mm-hmm. from the standpoint of like, ooh, wow, that is a tough adversary. Well, and think about it from the writer's room if we're pitching this around, right? Yeah. If... We intend this episode to also carry the bags of so many of these other themes and analogies that we are presenting with this, or allegories that we're presenting with this story. By having Odo deliver this sort of final assessment, we are making potentially commentary about kind of the potential prognosis of some of these things we're addressing no yeah i mean and that's i mean if if you if you go with um uh if if you go with avery brooks's analogy like oof that is a really tough way to end this episode which i don't think i I don't think that ending is supposed to mean anything in the real world um but but yeah i mean it's it is so it, it is very very dark for star trek because star trek always ends with hope it always ends with a chance at redemption but again this story is not over yeah and and it's that not like their the friend, it's chapter. not like their friendship was ever questioned it wasn't like the kid mm-hmm. really hedged in on her but uh, i just was laughing because i was like oh it's rocky five um it's rocky five um but i do i i do love 
the continuing relationship with Kira and Odo, mm-hmm. that being dovetailed through this. Yeah, it's great. It's great. It's and, great. you know, it could also be, it's it's not that, it's not necessarily that what Odo says is what is, right? I think he, right. I think there's, a, there's an element of, of disappointment, right? There's a disappointment yeah. there that he couldn't change it. I also found it, normally Mike would complain that we don't see the exchange because I think that's a really great scene we don't see. That yeah. the exchange, but I think that you know it, it just proves Odo's point that he was right. He was right about the the kid not being able to to harm him, and it also shows that of all the people on board, he's probably the only one who could do that handoff without there being some sort of funny business. Oh, hundred percent, right? For sure, it's sure. It, it 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 reinforces the singularity of Odo in this moment here. All right, I think it is time we move along home. And hand out some Wait, wait is there no, no vocab today? I didn't have any this And week. now it's time for so it's Mike time. and Deglio's Star Trek Vocabulary Quiz. No, it's not. <laughs> we didn't have a lot of vocab. <laughs> Mike, what is statutory? <laughs> All right. Attention, Bajoran workers. That's going to make more sense next week. I'm so excited. Uh, we are here to hand out some Alamo Remy's. You can uh, check out all of our social media feeds below us here and all of our links and nonsense. But it is time to discuss whether we found any wormholes in the plot. Yeah. I mean, for me, the the only one that stuck out at first and i guess it doesn't matter was like i said how did he get how did the baby get there was it who who remind me at the top of the episode who he was bartering with quark was bartering yeah, with. she was a, a smuggler junk trader that we've seen before okay so i guess it's it's not important in any way i just was curious no. that such an ex, for as sophisticated as the Jem'Hadar are as a species weapon yeah. it's hard to really know how to classify them at how this they point. lose track of a baby yeah. yeah so that that bothered me a little bit at the top um i guess that we could talk about the i think i don't know if it's a plot hole a wormhole but it sort of is anything that i think takes away from the storytelling is i think the age the specific numbers they placed on marta and jake mm-hmm. is a wormhole because it just it's not it's not quite right. It's a it's a it's a blemish in the time space continuum of the episode I, I, that I can that I just think we, we could have done better. But outside of those things, those little quibbles, I don't really have much. It's really it's it's a 3D chess episode because there's yeah. it's working on so many levels that I think it really it's pretty straightforward so there's nothing too hard. I would say that probably the, you could probably point if you if you knew more about the lore which I don't there's probably some inconsistencies with the chemical substance and all that kind of crap because they're kind of inventing a lot of lore for the Jem'Hadar. So hopefully they see that through. But I couldn't I couldn't clock any discrepancies between now and things we've seen in the past. Yeah, I mean, I I I agree. Uh, you know, how do we come across a baby? Sure. You know, my my question about the the cloaking technology that was genetic, like 
Well, I mean, I I guess I mean we get into really we go really far into the weeds. All right, so are do they have sort of a chameleon thing? If it's not technology, if it's biological, it's a chameleon thing. How come it works on the clothes? Blah blah blah. That's true of all cloaking things of all time. So like that that one, I just have a question. I don't necessarily think it's a wormhole until I have more information. Um, the other thing that really sticks out to me as as particularly silly is the costuming of the Jem Hadar because. They sort of gave him a Jem Hadar outfit right at the oh, very yeah. beginning, even yeah. when he was a kid. And then it wasn't like, oh, he's a Jem Hadar. Well, we know what they look they usually wear for clothes. They just sort of gave it to him from the very beginning. Right. Because he would have been naked, right? Right. Yeah. So they and they had to like keep replicating him Jem Hadar outfits and not space jammies like you'd normally have. Um Yeah, he should have been just like a, a neutral kind of yeah, you're right. That's a good point. Um not important, doesn't really, but, yeah. It doesn't it, it and, and it would have looked silly, mm-hmm. right? And that wasn't the story that we're telling. What's funny so is like, that you know there's some nevish little like nerd on set who's who's like, you know, we probably should we put him in a more neutral and and writers and director people have to be like, nobody cares about that. We got to go on. Yeah, it's not like 30 years from now there's going to be this thing called the internet and people are going to like people who have no qualifications who you know like th- there's only three networks mm-hmm. idiots are never going to talk about this for hours on a video you know platform because there's no such thing should like we fix CBS. the makeup up it's not like anyone's going to ai upscale us and you're going to see yeah. the high definition yeah don't worry about it there's no such thing as i don't yeah all right. anyway uh yeah so that's really all i had oh, yeah that's fine let's talk about best moments oh man this one's tough this one's tough for me there's a lot of good ones uh there's so many good scenes. The scene, I actually think the second scene with with O'Brien, where is it? Where is it? Where Ben's like, I want to learn more about my son. I think that that resolve is really great. But if I had to boil down, for me, I think the best scene is favorite. My best moment is that moment with Kira in the beginning. Kira and Odo in the in the quarters. I just oh, think, yep. like we said, it's 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 a an embarrassment of riches. You have so many story te- storylines that are kind of meeting in this beautiful little scene. You've got two amazing performers who are adding an extra element. Uh, I found myself getting a little choked up when he puts the the plant in the bucket because it's there's so much symbolism that yeah. it, I don't even really fully get what they were trying to say with it. But it's, there's just so much. It's about their friendship continuing in a new way. Him in a new way. Plants are rebirth, even though it was a dead plant. But why did they? Why did she give him these horrible dead, dried? It was like those. It was like those like potpourri <laughs> slash fake things you would stick in. Remember when you walk into a Frank's nursery and crash? It has that. My smell grandmother of, would do that. Yeah, you'd stick them in that styrofoam that, and you'd walk mm-hmm. in and you'd be like, "My mom had them too." And I was like, "This nothing about this resembles." Why would you want this in your house? <laughs> anyway, if that's what it was. Kira's uh, like, hey, my plant died. I'll just give it to Odo. He doesn't know what a plant is. And this weird sort of, uh, I couldn't even, it was more of a feeling than an idea of that, a moment in adolescence where you're like a little too old for your young friends and and, and you're, it's changing over to a new type of relationship. He's a little embarrassed to let her in. She can sense that he's a little embarrassed, but the same, there's, but plus, well, but, they, but like, there's also something between them. It's so much good stuff. Well, in a lot of ways, you have three characters going through different flavors of puberty. Yeah, very much so. Uh, but there's also a lot of letting go, right? Because Odo's right. also taking on like a what's it like to be a father? And Ben right. is letting go of being a father in some ways. Oh, there's so much. 
It's all of it. Yeah. yeah. And I, I 100% agree on the best moment. It, it, is it, is, it is that scene. It is the character development. It is the relationship development. It is the all of that. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. And, and so exciting to see that uh, blossoming, not like the dead flowers Kira brings. Uh, all right. Let's, uh, let's hand out some self-sealing stem bolts. What do you say? Oh! Why is it screaming? That's so. It's so. I gotta figure it out. It's really. I can't tell if it's OBS or my board. It's. Oh, that's terrible. Oh, it's just. I apologize, everyone. Oh. You know what? Wow. You get some stambles. Hell yeah, they are they so ceiling. Yeah. There you go. That. Might have been worse. <laughs> I don't know. Is that going to line up in post? Who knows? No, no. I, if 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 you start it, I can line up because I can hear you. What it's going to sound like? You never. It's never. It's great. You can great. never. I can never start. It's backwards. Okay. Yeah. Well, fine. Let's hand out some stem bolts. Yes. Let's do that. Um. So yeah, I thought it was a really solid episode, and yes, clearly they're planting some seeds. But nothing so vital is taking place. There's no actual, like, uh, there's no real ticking clock or drama. I don't think he's, even yeah. though they present him as potentially dangerous, I never feel any actual threat from him. And I think they established that very early on. Not with Odo there, no. Yes, correct. And I think they established that very, very early on with that first scene of them in Odo's quarters where they're establishing the hierarchy. But, and so you would say, well, the, so there's not a ton of stakes, so... It, it's not a consequential episode. But however, this is one of the prime examples, I think, of just multi-level storytelling. You can take it for just the sort of A to Z plot where and, and it's, there's a conflict presented, a mystery solved early, some scenes happen, and then it's resolved at the end. And it's an interesting way they resolve it, and I think it's, you know, they... But there's so much storytelling and multiple narratives and and allegory taking place all together. It also aired on Halloween, and it's kind of a scary-ish kind of episode, so I think that was well done. And the fact that to think it happened so quickly, <laughs> uh, in two months, uh, and I think a lot of this has to go, great performances, but to, to Avery Brooks, who I think, I didn't even, was able to thread a needle of so many multiple esoteric themes and make them feel cohesive uh Mm. and this of more than most episodes we watched this on saturday it's now monday so two days of 48 hours ago and i've been thinking about it a lot Mm. i've been thinking about uh my dad and i've been thinking about we went to see a show the other day and i was watching people parent their kids and i was thinking about how I'm still have like as my nieces and nephews are getting older, I'm feeling a bit of mourning, even though and that I can only imagine as a parent how hard it is to let go and mm. uh, how parents often can. In watching parents parent their children at a, at a at a play, I've seen how often parents their love can often I think obfuscate them from the potential problems their children might have and and things that need to shut up. things that need to be addressed and all of that is was amplified because I was thinking about this episode and how Odo 
an, is is exploring new experiences and then has an opportunity to potentially to kind of father or to parent and then how he's not able to, how that kind of blinds him in some ways but it also offers him a really beautiful perspective also from where he came from and so how how parenting is generational and then speaking of generational what are the things that are our birthright what ideas do we think are ours that were actually kind of implanted into us from our parents or implanted yeah. into us from our society or implanted to us from from prejudice of others that were kind yep. of that we wear what chemicals are being are drugging us into a cult like behavior or thinking uh, and look, what societal hierarchical ideas are inbred mm-hmm. in us and if you think you're not susceptible to that politically or from news or from what the algorithm tells Economically, you. Economically, racially, uh, socially. Watch a yeah. show tonight with commercials. And what do you do the second a commercial starts? What what drugs are we yeah. choosing or not choosing? There's so much, Keith. And it's all in this little sci-fi 45-minute episode. And the twist of all twists where do we end at what, what are any answers given to us not really it does the thing where it presents all of these thoughts and themes and questions and we are left to kind of figure it out for ourselves where our characters are left is somewhere unexpected because we get rid of the problem we do it non-violently and that might even earn us some cachet with the founders and the Jemadar because we but it's still a problem but it's still a problem we could have maybe held on it could have been some leverage it could have potentially we could have solved it by holding on to him as a prisoner we could have given it to Starfleet probably the right thing to do we also pissed off Starfleet lots of stuff so we left ourselves in a in a probably worse place than we started Odo is you know uh reading Nishi all of a sudden because he's like it all everything is terrible and I can't affect any change whatsoever uh and yet the episode continues when it's over just because of thoughts and ideas and what better what better uh, championing of a show can you say than I have been thinking about it for the past 40 yeah. hours and this show came out in 1994 100% so I left I would have said 87 2 days ago uh-huh. great a great episode but now even knowing that it's planting seeds uh, it's it's grown to a 91 in the past 48 hours and potentially could continue to grow so i'm gonna right here as of now today i'm saying 91 stem bolts yeah i mean i i agree with everything that you just said and i think um i'm not going to restate everything you just said but I'll, I'll i'll say this just reinforcing the track that this episode lays Right, and the stuff that I keep thinking when I think about Deep Space Nine, and I think about you know all the fun craziness that's going to happen later, I think about how foundational, how foundationally important the intelligence of the founders is, mm. and how well designed their whole deal is, and we see that in the construction of the Gem Hadar. The, the you know the the genetic you know ability to make them tough and strong, to make them violent, to make them aggressive, to make them subservient both ge- by genetically you know seeing the founders as gods, and through the the subservience of the of of drugging you know of of having the the drug right, like that just makes the adversary so interesting. Mm-hmm. fascinating and logical and that's a world it's the world building of it all 
that just makes it really exciting to think through like, well, well what do we do now? How do we counteract that? What's going to happen with all these various things? And to not dumb down your opponents, right? You're in good writing and good storytelling. You don't make the adversaries, you don't make your characters smarter or dumber than they are. And you don't make your adversaries dumb for plot contrivance, Mm -hmm. right? And so everyone is working at the height of their intelligence. And I think that is what, and and then you problem solve there. That's where it gets really interesting. That's where it's really fun. So um, love the, the, the track that this is laying. I think it's, it, it's one of those things where you're right. The stakes of this episode aren't as high as the importance of the storytelling. The importance of this is, this is very important. Oh, so much of this information is vitally important moving forward. The stakes aren't that high. It doesn't really matter, um, you know. But also, the the Odo's the continuation of Odo's journey is fascinating, right? Going through his weird adolescence here, you know, continuing to because for season one, season two, he was wrestling with who am I, where am I from, right? Are there other people like me out there? Well, now we know the answer to those questions, but now he's wrestling with like, oh God, I you know like am I a bad guy? Like what's going on? What, what is my level of responsibility here? And Cisco addresses it directly. Says you are not responsible for what the founders did. You're not responsible for this person. But I was like, I kind of still feel like I am. And, and so it's like, oof, it's fascinating. And there's certainly real life parallels, right? Cause mm-hmm. you know, like, we are not responsible for our parents and what our family does. But if I was raised in, you know, uh, Westboro Baptist Church, or I was raised in, you know, in 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 the Klan or something like that. I'd be like, I, 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 I disavow all of this, but I feel a responsibility to push back on that and to help well, and, people and, and whatever. You know, talk about stakes, and you know the answer to this, and I do not. So, an, an interesting, an interesting idea posted posted in this episode is so the so there's this, the moment where Odo thinks that. Well, they're both in the same spot, right? The Jem'Hadar and the kid and him. Like, they both don't have to be what right. their species are presenting as. However, it turns out he learns that this kid did. He couldn't override it, right? And Odo thinks he has free will and thinks he is free of the of the founder's pull. But remember him on that ship when he was drawn and he could not right. do it? Like, there, there's we don't genetic know f- manipulation in Odo's code, too. We don't know that he is has any free will any more so than that Jem Hardar does. So 100%. 100%. Fascinating. Fascinating to get into. Um, yeah, so I, I, I really like this episode. I think it's very important. Um, you know, for me, it's not like a legendary episode. It's just a very important and very interesting episode. And so for me, it gets 87. Okay. Self-sealing. So Seven. that's where I Bolts. started. <laughs> that's where you started. I, I ended where, where you started. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so we need to hear from the Chancellor. We do. Uh, what does Chancellor Jen think of this episode? Well, Jen, Keith and I are going to talk about this in a couple of days, but you don't get that luxury. It's true. So you have it's to true. come up on the spot. You've got your notes. I've got see, my notes. Let me see the notes. <laughs> it's a lot of scribbles. The abandoned got notes. gamma quadrant. <laughs> Friendship. Jem Hadar. Plant in bucket. That was my favorite scene. The Kira bringing scene. the plant. Mm-hmm. I love Akira Odo friendship scene you know odo feeling compelled to help those scenes were great too i'm gonna give it an 85 
Alright, what does the Dabo girl's part sound like when, after she has jump a light? There's not much to tell. What? <laughs> <laughs> oh, the Dabo! was good up until that moment. So she gives it an 85. She, I said, what does a Daba girl's fart sound like when she has jambalaya? Aggressive. So, yeah. It was, it was yeah. A, an aggressive fart from the Daba girls. Okay, so if you would like to get your rating on in self-sealing stem balls, please leave a comment below. You don't have to write a whole treatise. Just give us a number. That's yeah. fine. Uh, we you definitely can write want a treatise if you want to. Please write yeah. a treatise. But, but don't feel like you have to. Right, so just just put a number in there. That's fine. We we really appreciate uh, your numerical thoughts and feelings. All right. So next week we will be here with civil defense, uh, which is uh, which is one I reference every week and is one of my guilty pleasures. So uh, here we go. Civil defense. Ah, oh, I'm so excited about this season. Uh, if you're still here, please uh, give us a like, give us a subscribe. If you haven't already, you can leave us a tip. You mm. can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash K&M. Please check out our look at my Star Trek toys show. Also, K&M Geekly. This one and Geekly are available as podcast feeds. And if you're just listening to this, do us a favor. Leave a rating and review on whatever podcasting service you are listening to. Uh, I'm excited. This is fun. We will see you back next week with Civil Defense. Till then, this has been Keith and Mike. Watch Deep Space Nine. Here's hoping. Thank you for watching KM Entertainment. If you enjoyed our particular brand of nonsense, please like and subscribe. Or become one of our patrons at patreon.com slash KM.